welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every other day at the moment. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things Spoked B, as well as take a look around the NHL and the hockey world in general. To keep up with the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, please follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. You can also find me on Twitter.com at Ian C. McLaren. First time listeners, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast on Apple Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, wherever else you listen. And Apple users in particular, I'd encourage you to leave a rating and a review. That would be very much appreciated. If you listen to Monday's podcast, you know that we are starting a look back at some of the great teams in franchise history. And this week, we are talking about the 2011 Boston Bruins, who of course won the Stanley Cup. On Monday, I reviewed the Bruins championship DVD and threw in some personal reflections as well. And today we're going to answer some mailbag questions as well as look at some of the unsung heroes from that Stanley Cup run uh, back in 2011. But first, there is some actual Boston Bruins news to talk about. And the first thing came out of a Zoom conference that Tori Krug had yesterday. That would be uh, Tuesday, April 7th. And unfortunately, he said that he and Bruins management haven't had any talks since this thing started. This thing being, of course, the pause in the regular season and playoffs due to the COVID-19 health crisis. Krug added, I really hope I did not play my last game as a Boston Bruin. It's been a place for me and my family to grow, and my love for the game and playing in front of these fans has been very special to me. But the pause season hasn't given me any clarity. I think, if anything, it's made me wonder about this process a little more because I was just in the moment and playing games to help my team win and hopefully push us in the right direction to win a championship. And now, with the season pause, I've definitely wondered about what's going to happen. But in terms of clarity, there pretty much has been none I can only guess things are going to look a little different from a salary cap perspective next year, and team structures as well are going to be affected by that. Tori Krug, of course, is set to become an unrestricted free agent originally on June 30th, but now that uh, may be pushed back if the season is able to be resumed at some point. He, of course, has been an integral part of this Bruins organization for quite some time now. He was originally signed as an undrafted college free agent back in 2012 by then Bruins general manager Peter Chiarelli, which is quite a feat uh, for the oft-maligned manager. And in that time, he's played 523 regular season games, 67 goals, 270 assists. In the playoffs, he's chipped in 11 goals and 35 assists in 62 games. And again, playing uh, a big role in the 2013 team, the 2019 team that went to the finals, and uh, along the way, just becoming a great offensive defenseman and and quite a spark plug for this Bruins team. Now with the season on pause and uncertainty about revenue and um, whether the salary cap will go down for next season, it's 
difficult to say whether the Bruins will have the cap space to get him signed. And as we've talked about on the podcast before, the Bruins do have some other notable free agents who will need to be taken care of. Anders Bjork is an RFA. Jake DeBrusque is an RFA. Matt Grizzlich is an RFA, as well as Zdeno Chara, whether he wants to come back or not. He's a UFA. We'll need another contract. Joachim Nordstrom is a UFA. He's been a valuable member of the fourth line, although it wouldn't be a big deal to walk away from him as there are some guys coming up. And then Yaroslav Halak is also a UFA, as is Kevin Miller. So those are some decisions that Don Sweeney will have to make. I would assume that perhaps Halak, Miller, and Nordstrom could be candidates to be, um, you know, kind of not tossed aside, but walked away from, if you will. And then uh, any money that's left will be given to the RFAs and Krug. Um, So, yeah, it's disappointing to hear that there has been no real progress during this time. Everybody's kind of waiting to see what's going to happen, but it seemed like it would have been a good time for the Bruins and Krug to at least discuss the parameters of a deal and see what each is thinking. But again, the the cap space issue may be something that is uh, holding them back at the moment right now. The other big story for the Bruins kind of revolves around Bruins of the past. And it's a, a story that came out last week in relation to the trade of Joe Thornton to the San Jose Sharks. It all started when uh, former NHL executive Brian Burke was on Twitter doing a bit of a Q&A for Sportsnet. And he said, I tried desperately to get Joe Thornton to Anaheim. I thought we beat the offer that got accepted. Burke said he proposed to Mike O'Connell, who was Bruins GM at the time, that um, he would protect five Ducks from the Anaheim roster and O'Connell could take whoever he had ranked sixth, no restrictions, and then Burke said he'd add another roster player, a prospect, and a first-round pick. And he said, I'm still bitter that we didn't get him. Then in a story posted Tuesday on The Athletic, Mike O'Connell rebutted that story saying it was fabricated. No such offer was made to me, and I never informed Anaheim of my intentions to trade Joe Thornton, which, if that's true, and Burke was willing to do that, then that's another bad luck for O'Connell, who already looks bad for the deal that he did pull off, which was Thornton to the Sharks for Marco Sturm, uh, Brad Stewart, and Wayne Primo. Unfortunately, Connell added, O'Connell added, sorry, certain personalities never let the truth get in the way of their ultimate goal, self-promotion. Brian Burke took exception to that comment, and he appeared on ESPN's ICE podcast uh, just yesterday saying O'Connell's comments were unfortunate because Mike and I were friends once. Burke said O'Connell was quite upset and actually called him last Friday to claim the exchange never happened. Burke said, uh, he told O'Connell, hang on a second. I can see if you're saying I got a detail wrong. Maybe it was six players I protect. You're telling me this never happened. That's your answer. And he, O'Connell said, yeah, you fabricated this. Burke retorted, first off, I wish we were in the same room. If you're calling me a liar, I wish we were in the same room. I've been accused of many things, but certainly not being untruthful. 
it kind of reminded me of Brian Burke's reaction to Kevin Lowe offer sheeting Dustin Penner back in the day and kind of poaching him uh, from the Ducks to Edmonton and Burke challenging Kevin Lowe at the time to a uh, fight in a barn, which would have been pretty awesome to see. Burke went on. He said, second problem you have, Mike, is that I wasn't alone when I made this offer. Then assistant GM Bob Murray was sitting right there at my desk. In fact, it was Bob who came in and said, I heard they're trading him to San Jose. We've got to hijack this trade. Let's protect six, Burke said. And then Murray retorted by saying, let's make it better than that. We'll protect five. I called him, made the offer with Bob sitting three feet away. Uh, Matt Porter of the Boston Globe tried to get in touch with Murray to corroborate this, but that message was not returned. Burke finally said, it's a bizarre defense. He knows he made a bad deal. He got a lot of heat afterwards for not shopping improperly. You're going to trade a player of that caliber. You've got to offer him to every team that might have an interest and get the best offer you can. He tried to move him quietly, didn't make a good deal, and I guess he's taking it out on me. In hindsight, looking at the Ducks and what they had at the time, it would have been much better for O'Connell to have contacted Anaheim to try to get the best deal out of him. If they're going to protect five or six players, you had guys like uh, Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry, who were both very young at the time. Joffrey Lupo was twenty-five, or sorry, only twenty-two years old. There was Bobby Ryan, who had been selected uh, a couple years earlier, second overall, who perhaps could have been made available. So um, clearly, if Burke is being accurate in what he's saying. The Ducks could have offered Boston a much better deal than the, what they got in San Jose. So whether O'Connell is telling the truth or just being uh, defensive, I'm kind of leaning towards the latter there uh, because he knows that it was a terrible trade for the Bruins and he has been uh, much criticized because of it. And let's be honest, for good reason. So, um, you know, again, it's a bit of a he said, he said there. But uh, I'm tending to believe Brian Burke in this situation. And it's a real shame because it could have really uh, improved the Bruins at the time. Although we all know what happened shortly thereafter when the Bruins were able to sign Zdeno Chara and Mark Savard as um, unrestricted free agents. And that really helped to shape the winning culture that's been developed over the last uh, decade or so. So yeah, a bit of uh, revisionist history there in some ways, but really would have been interesting to see uh, what would have happened if that deal with Anaheim had taken place. For this week's mailbag, I opened it up to some questions or thoughts from the 2011 Cup run. And uh, the first one came in from William Nickerson, our old friend who was on Fan Friday a couple weeks ago, if you if you didn't check that out. He asks, was 2011 Cup Run Horton the most clutch Bruins player ever? Uh, he did score some massive overtime and game-winning goals in that uh, run. Uh, of course, a couple against the Canadians, Game 7 against Montreal, Game 7 against Tampa Bay were his two most memorable goals from that uh, Cup Run. And uh, 
Unfortunately, of course, he was knocked out of the playoffs by that late hit from Aaron Rome in the 8-1 Bruins victory over Vancouver in Game 3 of the final. Uh, he actually didn't lead the team in game-winning goals. That uh, playoff run, that went to David Krejci, who had four, and Horton had three. Although, if Horton had played in more games, maybe that would have went up. And game-winning goals is kind of a bogus stat in some ways because, you know, an overtime goal is weighted the same as the second goal in an 8-1 victory, for instance. So, kind of take game-winning goals with a grain of salt. Overtime goals would be uh, more valuable, I think. But yeah, Nathan Horton was a beast in that in that playoff run. A valuable asset to the Bruins. I don't know if most clutch. I'm sure you could go back and, and say that Bobby Orr was probably most clutch, especially with his Stanley Cup winning goal back in 1970, which we'll talk more about next week. Uh, but yeah, that line of Krejci, Lucic, and Horton. When I was watching the Stanley Cup video uh, this past weekend, uh, it struck me just how good Milan Lucic used to be. Uh, just such a force. It really seemed like when he got the puck in the offensive zone, he was just going to truck right to the net and put the puck in. Um, it's it's unfortunate to see how he's kind of fallen off in recent years, but uh, peak Lucic was a beast to be sure. And that line uh, was a special trio for sure. And it was cool to see them uh, back in the bye week on vacation together. There was that picture of Lucic, Horton and Krejci back together again. So obviously they still keep in touch and are still buds, uh, which is really cool to see. That was uh, a really great line for the Bruins uh, to be sure. Uh, William Nickerson also asked, uh, what was the question? Which series is more pivotal to the cup run, the Canadians or the Flyers? That's a great question. The Flyers series was important, obviously, because of the way they lost to the Flyers the year before. In 2010, as we all remember, the Bruins were up 3-0 in that series. It went seven games. They were up 3-0 in game seven and then ended up losing uh, and so to be able to come back and sweep the Flyers in 2011 was massive just in terms of, yeah, redemption, shedding that uh, kind of uh, what you would call a ghost from years past. Uh, Claude Julien, after that series, he said, uh, it's something that has been hanging over our heads for a year. You need to Take time to appreciate what you have done, and at the same time, you have to stay focused because the toughest games are yet to come. So, yeah, he obviously acknowledged how important it was to beat the Flyers in that fashion, but also, um, yeah, acknowledging that it was only two rounds that they had won up to that point. The Canadian series, I think, was pivotal just in terms of setting up their mindset going forward. The Bruins obviously had three game sevens to win that year. And the fact that they went down 0-2 to Montreal after losing two games on home ice to begin the playoffs, that's, you know, potentially demoralizing, if not, you know, just impossible to overcome, seeing as you don't expect to go on the road and win two more games 
and bring it home. So the fact that they, you know, went down 0-2 after losing those two games at home, were able to come back. Um, and then, you know, there were other comebacks in that series. It could have gone either way. Tim Thomas said it was the most even series he'd ever played up to that point. Um, that really, I believe, was pivotal in terms of their mindset going forward. So when they lose game one to Tampa Bay, have to go to a game seven, drop a three nothing lead in game five, I believe it was along the way. Um, and then go, yeah, into Vancouver, lose two games to Vancouver and have to win four out of five in the final. Um, the fact that they were able to overcome such a huge rival in the Canadians in the first round like they did, I really think that helped their mindset going forward and for them to think, you know, no matter what happens, we are still in this until uh, the final buzzer sounds. So I really think that was pivotal for this team. Uh, the last comment wasn't really, it's not a question, but it came from Nick Lanciani. At Lancey53, he says, A lesser-known moment is when I spoke a Michael Ryder goal into existence from all the way in the second-to-last row of Game 3 of the final to make it 8-1. Nick, I'm jealous that you were at that game. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be inside the Garden for an 8-1 win in the final. And secondly, thank you for your service to inspire that goal. Uh, Michael Ryder was tweeting through the Bruins account last night, uh, watching a game on Nesson, and uh, yeah, he was huge in those playoffs to be sure, and uh, glad that the great people of Newfoundland were able to celebrate a Stanley Cup win with him as a result. Let's finish off with some news and notes from around hockey and the NHL as we uh, wrap up today's podcast. First of all, a very cool story from uh, over in Switzerland. Florence Schelling, who played net for the Swiss women's team. Uh, she's only 31, and she's the first female GM of a top-level men's hockey team after being hired today by SC Bern. Uh, the statement was, Florence will be a pioneer, probably worldwide. She's young, fresh, and she'll bring a new perspective and break up existing structures. So very cool news out of Switzerland. Uh, Bern is a very nice city. I was able to visit there uh, several years ago, and uh, I know she'll do a great job leading that team where a lot of, uh, you know, former NHLers have been over there as well. On the NHL front, uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman finally admitted that finishing the regular season might not be possible. He stressed many options are still under consideration for the resumption of play after this pause. Uh, including neutral sites if teams aren't allowed to play in their home arenas. We already know that cities like Montreal and Toronto have limited public gatherings into July at this point. Uh, it could take at least three more weeks for clarity on how the pandemic will affect all 31 NHL markets. Um, there has been talk in recent days of neutral site games in North Dakota, Manchester, um, I would be surprised if they're able to get in any regular season games at this point, considering events, you know, into June, July are already being canceled. Uh, so it's likely that at the moment we're only looking at possible playoff games. 
Pierre Lebrun of the, of the Athletic reports, it's very unlikely the league would consider just one neutral site because it won't work really to get all those people into one small town in order to host 16 teams for for a playoff scenario. So there's up to four locations being considered for 16 teams, maybe even eight. Uh, but again, it's very early in those discussions uh, as to how and when playoff games could be played. Speaking of COVID-19, a third Colorado Avalanche player tested positive for the virus. He's in self-isolation and hasn't had close contact with teammates or team staff in recent days. The league has had eight players test positive for the virus, three members of the Avalanche, and five Ottawa Senators. So it's being limited to those two teams at the moment, uh, but uh, still concerning nonetheless. Speaking of health issues, our thoughts and prayers are with former Boston Bruins Colby Cave, currently with the Edmonton Oilers. He underwent emergency surgery in Toronto to remove a colloid cyst that was putting pressure on his brain. He remains in a medically induced coma. Um, it was not the result of COVID-19 or any accident, just something that happened, I guess. And, uh, you know, very scary situation for Cave and his family. A lot of NHL teams and players, including Bruins, were sending out messages on social media yesterday in support of Cave and his family. And we hope that he's able to make a full recovery. Um, speaking of former Bruins, uh, we I mentioned Lucic earlier. He was involved in a trade last offseason between the Oilers and the Flames. And uh, the Flames would have received a third-round pick if Neal had scored at least 21 goals this season and Lucic had netted 10 or fewer goals, 10 or fewer goals than Neal. James Neal scored 19 goals before the game. Games were paused, and Ken Holland said, it's his understanding that if uh, things don't change, they'll keep the third round pick. So that's one offshoot of games not resuming and, um, you know, the regular season not finishing off uh, as planned. Another good news piece just to finish off today's podcast Former Kitchener Rangers winger and current Buffalo Sabre, he has donated $53,000 to the Food Bank of Waterloo Region, which uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, for those who don't know, is about an hour west of Toronto. Uh, it's where Skinner played junior hockey. The donation is in reference to the number 53 that he wore in Kitchener and still wears today as a member of the Buffalo Sabres. That donation will lead to the equivalent of 150,000 meals to those who are in need during this health crisis. Um, Wendy Campbell, the director of the food bank, said through emergency food hampers, shelter and residential programs and outreach programs supporting our most vulnerable citizens, thousands of pounds of food are being procured and distributed. How great is it that he remembered our community during this time and wanted to do something to support this community he spent so many years in? Uh, Skinner played two seasons with the Rangers, now is in his 10th NHL season, and uh, the team shared the news and certainly thanked Skinner for that donation, which was very generous and uh, very much needed in the area. The fact that Jeff reached out 
wanting to give back to this community says a lot about his character, said Rangers CEO Steve Biankowski. We're very proud of the selflessness and generosity showed by a special alum. So really cool uh, of Jess Skinner to do that. And uh, we'll see some more good news items like that come out, I'm sure, in the coming days. That's it for today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. We'll be back on Friday this week uh, with our ongoing look at the 2011 Stanley Cup champions. And I hope you are all doing well, taking care of yourselves. Things are going well up here, uh, challenging with homeschooling. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to still have full-time work uh, as well. So balancing all that uh, is a bit of a challenge, but uh, we are pretty lucky to be in that situation. Um, Last night, we finished season three of Ozark, which was insane. And looking forward to catching up on Better Call Saul tonight. I've also still been watching Community, which has been helping to, uh, yeah, just bring some laughs and joy into my life through this challenging time. Again, I hope you're all doing well, staying safe. If you need me, you can reach me on Twitter at ENC McLaren or tweet at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Please do tell someone in your life about the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, Bruins fans, hockey fans in general. It'd be great to get some more people jumping on the Locked On bandwagon during this time. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you again on Friday. Take care, friends. And be sure to take care of each other.